You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1844th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 10th of September 2021. The editor of this edition is Jill Gain. The producer is Jackie Whiting and your readers are Jill and Nick Gain. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. I could hear you, but your ordinary voice. Does it matter if you can't? I don't know. If I can't hear, can she hear? Hmm. Well, she might well. Whoa! I don't know what it's doing. Carry on, yeah? Charity steps in to help families struggling to buy uniforms. Help us to stock up for Christmas, says Charity. New hope for cinema. Concern over Covid cases rise in Bury St Edmunds. A Haverhill charity has stepped in to support families struggling with the cost of buying school uniforms this month. September is seen by many parents as the very toughest month of the year, with additional financial burdens compounding the already difficult home economy, so Reach Community Projects has acted to help. A recent report in the national media quoted information from the Children's Society, highlighting that the cost of kitting out a student for uniform could be over £300. And for many families that REACH is helping, this is going to be a huge struggle, coming on top of increasing food and energy bills, as well as train fares and petrol prices. Henry Wilson, REACH founder and CEO, told how he spoke to one family who had said to him, it's the initial outlay that costs the most and you have to have it, and they, the children, grow so fast. There are Facebook selling sites which I do use for the younger children, and I have bought some items from the supermarkets, but I'm not supposed to. Henry added, As I started to write about this looming problem, it was mid-August, and Reach was already hearing about some families struggling to purchase new items for their term, commencing in September. Just this week, Reach had two calls for help with school uniforms and supplied a family with a food box after they ran out of money following the purchase of uniforms. We just hate the thought of parents having to choose between school uniforms and food. With some items of school uniform having to be replaced during the academic year, this was going to be doubly difficult on top of the planned reduction in universal credit, which is about to hit those most in financial difficulty, said Henry, especially as the much-heralded new law aimed at making school uniforms cheaper in England would not be in place in time for the start of this school year. There is some good news, though, as REACH has formed a partnership with the charity Axe 435 to help families. REACH is strongly urging anyone struggling with purchasing the necessary school uniforms to get in touch as soon as possible. A Bury St Edmunds food bank charity is appealing for donations after stocks were depleted due to the pandemic and in preparation for its Christmas hamper project. 
Gatehouse says its shelves need refilling after distributing more than 2,500 parcels and serving 1,500 people at its mini-supermarket over the last 18 months. The charity is gearing up for December when it delivers about 500 hampers to families in need with food provided by schools, churches and the community. It is urging people to think about donating to the charity, particularly those with harvest festivals on the horizon. As winter approaches, Chief Executive Amanda Bloomfield said, We're concerned the food bank and hampers will have a higher demand than ever before. We're already getting requests quite early this year going into the winter period and we'll be looking at what services we can offer focusing on keeping people warm and well fed. Gatehouse will also host a Christmas Day lunch at St Benedict's Catholic School for between 100 to 150 people who would otherwise be on their own. The event was cancelled last year with smaller lunches held throughout December serving 70 people in groups. The charity's Christmas project now in its 34th year, has received £1,500 from this year's main sponsor, the Ridley Godfrey Foundation. Nicola Godfrey said, We hope this donation will be greatly received by all and sends festive cheer to those who need it most. Meanwhile, Frederick Hyam has given 500 boxes for the hampers and Roff's Catering provides the Christmas Day turkeys as well as the crockery and cutlery. Staff from Green King and HSBC have also offered to volunteer. Amanda said, I'm honoured that these businesses, who have all been hit during the pandemic, are still able to support our charity. The Christmas project is always such a pleasure to deliver, and the difference it makes to those who are most vulnerable in the community is evident from the joy in their faces and makes the job worthwhile. She noted that as statutory organisations withdraw support offered during the pandemic, Charities will be required to meet the need. Gatehouse is looking at how we can respond post-pandemic, what services we can put back in and what new services will be needed, she added. Donations can be made to Gatehouse directly in Dettingham Way or via collection points at Waitrose or the Co-op in Outrisby Gate. To help Gatehouse or for information about attending the lunch, call Amanda on 01284 754 967. A historic building in the centre of Newmarket is being looked at as a potential site for a new cinema for the town. Nick Patton, Managing Director of Jockey Club Estates, confirmed the organisation was in talks with West Suffolk Council over the possibility of converting the sub subscription rooms in the High Street, which until 2016 were home to the National Horse Racing Museum. It is very early days, but we are discussing the feasibility of the property becoming a cinema, said Mr Patton. Jockey Club Estates is currently looking at all assets and how they can be used for the good of the town and all its residents, he said. The subscription rooms have been empty since the Racing Museum relocated to Palace House and we have been looking at alternative uses. It is a tricky building to convert and funding would have to be in place. Once home to two cinemas, Newmarket has now been without one for more than 40 years. In 2013, a multi-screen complex was proposed as part of a plan for a new Sainsbury's at the George Lamberton playing fields. But that proposal was rejected in favour of a supermarket development in Exning Road, now Aldi. In 2017, research commissioned by Forest Heath District Council 
confirmed there was strong <coughs> strong local demand for a cinema and two years later, following in-depth viability studies costing around £200,000, a report was produced for West Suffolk Council, which had taken over as the district authority, suggesting the best site would be in front of the entrance to the Guineas shopping centre, where it would benefit from existing car parking. However, late in 2019, the project started to flounder because the government announced it would be charging more for its loans made to councils. Plans which had already been delayed by the general election were set to be discussed by January 2020. But as the coronavirus pandemic took hold later that year, proposals for the cinema, the town's, the town's residents had been crying out for, and even been promised by the, late, late, by the town's MP Matthew Hancock, seemed a distant memory, although Councillor Susan Glossop, the council's cabinet member for growth, told the journal at the end of last year, our ambition to deliver a cinema that would support the regeneration of the high street remains. Concern has been raised over a spike in COVID cases in Bury St Edmunds, with 573 positive tests reported in just seven days, up nearly 30%. West Suffolk Hospital NHS Foundation Trust also saw 14 COVID-related admissions in the seven days leading up to August the 29th, a 27.3% increase on the previous week. One particular part of the town which has seen a significant rise in coronavirus cases is the Howard Estate and Northgate area, which had 47 new COVID cases in the seven days leading up to September the 1st. This is a rate of 658.1 cases per 100,000 people, which is almost double the UK average of 362.9. Johnny Chandler, 54, who lives on the Howard Estate, contracted COVID at the end of August and was in self-isolation until Monday, September the 6th. Mr Chandler, whose wife had coronavirus at the same time, said it was horrendous and that he was bedridden for six to seven days. The gardener, who was waiting for a date to have his second coronavirus vaccine, said he was surprised to hear of the highest case rate on the Howard estate. He added, When I go out shopping, I will still be wearing a mask. We've got to protect the elderly and I wouldn't want to give it to anyone. Bury St Edmund Town Councillor Katie Parker, who represents the St Olaf's Ward, which covers the Howard estate and Marham Park, said, I can see the statistics are definitely higher for the Howard estate. I won't speculate about the reasons for that as we may never know. I definitely think we all need to remain sensible and aware. I have always been led to believe that cases will remain high, but that vaccinations will keep us from hospital admissions and death. Councillor Parker added, so we need to be responsible, careful and go and get vaccinated. A spokesman for West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust said, as life gets back to normal, People can still help protect families and friends from COVID-19 by taking simple steps like getting vaccinated, wearing face coverings in crowded places and on public transport, meeting outside where possible and taking <coughs> regular free COVID-19 rapid self-tests. More than 180 riders took to the horse walks and the heath around Newmarket on Sunday for the popular annual heath ride now organised by town-based charity Racing Welfare. All the participants involved enjoyed the chance to have a gallop on the world's most famous racehorse training grounds, 
opened up specially by Jockey Club Estates, but also sampled the unique network of horse walks normally used by the town's thousands of racehorses to get around from stable to heath. Local volunteers were on hand to make sure the event ran smoothly and safely, keeping participants on track around the 8, 15 and 20 mile routes, which took in some of the town's most iconic locations. And they were also raising vital funds for the charity, with the total going to Racing Welfare, from entry fees and sponsorship contributions already standing at more than £7,000. It was wonderful to see the sun come out for all the riders and volunteers who enjoyed such a fabulous day on Sunday, said Dawn Goodfellow, the charity's chief, chief executive. I would like to thank everyone who took part, whether riding or volunteering, for their support of the event. I must also extend our thanks to Bedmax for their generous sponsorship and to the National Stud, Newmarket Racecourses and Jockey Club Estates for their ongoing support. Racing Welfare is the only charity that supports all of racing's people, including stud, stable and racecourse staff, alongside those working in associated professions, from their recruitments right through into retirement. The owner of a town centre hotel and restaurant has spoken of his pride and delight after landing a semi-final spot in a prestigious National Industry Awards. Nine Jars in Haverhills High Street is Suffolk's only representative in the final 15 of the British Institute of Innkeeping National Licensee of the Year Award. The semi-final spot recognises how the family-run business has responded to the national lockdowns by constantly changing its model to offer everything from a takeaway and online service to a community hub. Nine Jars owner Daniel Pilly said, We're delighted to have made it to the semi-final stage of the BII National Licensee of the Year Awards. It has of course been a challenging 18 months for the entire hospitality industry, but we have also looked at it as an opportunity. We stepped back and looked at every aspect of the business and also showed agility and flexibility to constantly change our model to fit around the national guidance. None of this would have been possible without our amazing Nine Jars team and this national recognition is testimony to all their hard work and dedication to our business. In addition, to ensure a change in the law to allow pubs and restaurants to develop a takeaway service. Mr Pilly explained, this was a lifeline to many businesses and also allowed us to become a lifeline to our customers. They have always been incredibly loyal to us and this was our chance to support them as much as possible. We are hugely proud of the fact that we have retained every single job throughout such a tough 18 months and have now brought back every member of the team. Since fully reopening in April, Nine Jars has opened a salon in its hotel, which is now renamed the Suffolk Hotel, purchased a refurbished horse box to continue with its market day trading and discussions have begun about the possibility of opening another venue. Chiefly welcome visitors to its new community hall on Sunday. The new community hub in the High Street used to be the village's United Reformed Church Chapel and a place of worship for more than 150 years. Last month, the building was put up for sale for bids to in excess of £125,000 and the council's bid of £149,000 was accepted. 
The chapel, which at the time was still hosting services, was already being used by the village's playgroup and other organisations which hired it for occasional events. Claire Elbro, then Parish Council Chairman, said the authority felt the building was the ideal place for a community hall and called it the answer to the council's prayers, as it had been looking for some time to take forward a project for a community hub to serve a wide range of village groups. Current council chairman Sally Thomas said the chapel, which was originally built in 1869 as a small Baptist chapel before being taken over by the United Reformed Church 13 years later, had needed a lot of renovation work, but most of that had now been completed, including the installation of new windows, a new kitchen, dealing with issues of damp and interior and exterior decoration. On Sunday, she and other members of the parish council welcomed villagers and other visitors from the Cheveley area to an open afternoon when they were able to get a closer look at the new facilities. We were delighted with the turnout, said Councillor Thomas. People were very impressed with the facilities and there were a lot of inquiries. Haverhill Aviation Society, West Suffolk, will begin a new season of Thursday evening meetings and talks on September the 16th at Stirling House Conference Centre, next to HMP High Point in Stradishall. The new season will start with an illustrated talk by one of the UK's most experienced warbird pilots, Rod Dean, entitled Spitfire to Seafire, All 47 Types, covering the development of the iconic British aircraft from pre-war prototype to post-war service. Chairman John Rice said the Society is looking forward to welcoming back its members and interested visitors following 19 months of lockdown and restrictions. A dental practice in Soham has donated £500 to a food bank. Hopvine House Dental Practice in Clay Street is one of seven run by the Simply Smile Group, which, which donated the money they received for the metals contained in patients' old crowns and bridges, when they were removed or changed. Each practice was then asked to decide which charity it wanted to support with a donation, as the group was keen to help local good causes. Esther McIntyre from the Sewing Practice said, Historically, patients would have been asked to vote which charity out of three they would like to receive the funds. On this occasion, the practice made the decision, the decision to denote to Ely Food Bank. Walkers, cyclists... Old cars, country lanes, town centres and beautiful historic churches are what lay in store for participants in Saturday's Suffolk Historic Churches Trust Ride and Stride and Pedal and Drive. Both events take place between 9am and 5pm for what is the 40th sponsored bike ride, one that now welcomes walkers and classic and vintage car owners. Cyclists and walkers choose their own route from the 500 or more churches that are open across Suffolk for Ride and Stride. In Haverhill, the Methodist, Congregational, St Felix Roman Catholic and St Mary's churches will be open. The other churches in the Haverhill area that are opening are in Clare, the Baptist, United Reformed, Catholic and the Parish Church. Cowling, Denston, Barnardiston, Great and Little Bradley, Little Thurlow, Little Ratting, Keddington, Withersfield, Wickenbrook, Wixo, Stoke-by-Clare, Stradishall, Poslingford and Stansfield. 
Meanwhile, veteran and classic car drivers are organised into teams that leave from various country houses across Suffolk, following a signed route with clues to solve at the churches they visit before assembling in Lavenham. Both events have a photography competition for participants. Donations and sponsorship can also be collected via Just Giving. Rachel Sloan, Honorary Publicity Officer and Trustee for the Suffolk Historic Churches Trust said, Last year £14,000 was raised by Pedal and Drive and £158,000 by Ride and Stride, a 10-year high. Half of the money raised by cyclists and walkers goes to the church of their choice, while all the proceeds from the car rally go to the Trust, which with the remaining 50% raised by Ride and Striders is given out as grants to help church buildings, many of which are listed. The grants are given towards repairs, restoration projects or facilities such as disabled access and toilets. Newmarket Library reopened on Tuesday following the completion of a £230,000 refurbishment project funded by Suffolk County Council. Town Mayor Councillor Michael Jeffries and Newmarket County Councillor Rachel Hood joined staff welcoming customers back into the library after it had been closed for several months while renovation work was carried out. The library's lift has been completely replaced, meaning access to the library on the first floor of the shopping centre is easier for all visitors. It also has new toilets, an improved entrance and reception area, and new carpets on the stairs. The library is based in the Guineas shopping centre and have been operating out of a temporary shopping unit nearby while work was going on. We are delighted that the library has reopened and that local people can once again enjoy our new facilities and the extensive activities and services that they host, said Bruce Leake, Chief Executive of Suffolk Libraries. Our libraries have so much to offer to improve people's well-being and help them stay connected and engaged. Newmarket Library is now more accessible to everyone and I hope people will enjoy the many benefits. We are very grateful to the County Council for their continuing support of the library service. Staff from Ipswich Building Society's Haverhill branch joined colleagues from other branches on a 38-mile sponsored walk to raise funds for St Nicholas Hospice Care. Wayne Hurrell, Kevin Davis and area manager Paul Miller set off on the marathon trek from the firm's Haverhill branch at 9am on Friday. Joined by Lester Blake, Alex Deal and Ben Cousins, they eventually arrived at the Ipswich branch at 3.30pm on Saturday night following a s overnight stop-off. The walk raised £1,363, which the company would match with a donation. A Haverhill writer and illustrator has released a new children's story, one inspired not just by his own daughter, but also by two nearby parks that he and his family like to frequent. David Howden's book, The Toothbearer and the Masked Crown, follows protagonist Caitlin on her mission to protect the fairy realm from the darkness of disbelief. She does this by encouraging her friends to continue to believe in the tooth fairies. However, a new adversary has a different idea to fast-track believers by dragging humans directly into the realm. Just one problem. They're still human-sized so they could destroy the realm and be lost forever. David said of the book 
the second in his Tooth Bearer series, having lived in Haverhill for over 15 years, I really wanted to showcase some of my favourite local places in the book. East Town Park is one such favourite and is so magical it was easy to imagine this being visited by the characters in the book. We often visit there as a family to walk alongside the stream and play poo sticks on the bridge. Another favourite location is Clare Castle Country Park with the old abandoned railway station. I really think they are hidden gems and we are lucky to have them so close. David originally wrote the first story for his daughter, Caitlin, Nine, who is the main character and the true inspiration for the Toothbearer series. He admitted, however, that it seemed a shame not to share the stories wider, so he decided to self-publish them through Amazon. Clayton has quite the talented illustrator herself, and had even contributed some of her own illustrations in the book, added David. The books have been described by the author as being really heartwarming adventures of friendship, magic and courage, and are all ideally aimed at 6 to 11 year olds. Both of David's children's books, the first of which is simply called The Toothbearer, are available on Amazon now. They will also be available to order from other bookshops soon. Villagers gathered on Bank Holiday Monday to take part in Hearthest's traditional annual fete. There was something for everyone as the packed day saw children racing against each other, a beer inside a tent for adults and even a silent auction for people to bid on a wide variety of items. Philippa Gladstone, a member of Friends of Hearthest School, said it was a lovely day despite the weather. I think the pet show was particularly well received. I've never seen so many dogs enter. I think that people also love the addition of some live music mixed with the usual fate traditions such as the Morris dancers. The event, which ran through the afternoon from 1 to 5pm, helped to bring residents together after a long period when the Covid pandemic put a halt to most social gatherings. The money raised from the day will go towards the village's church and primary school. Those in attendance got to enjoy the musical stylings of Gear, R and Robbie Gladwell and a performance by a traditional team of Morris dancers. Humanitarian and author Terry Waite was also spotted at the fete with his latest novel, Tales of Tommy Twitchnose, which was released in September 2020. Car enthusiasts were able to take a close look at a display of pristine classic vehicles lined up for the event. And as with all good village fates, there was a tombola and a raffle, so people had several chances to go home with a prize. There were also games such as Hook a Duck, which provided hours of entertainment for people of all ages. A crackdown on the misuse of blue badges in Suffolk has begun. The badges are for the benefit of eligible people with severe mobility difficulties or severe non-visible disabilities to enable them to park closer to their destination. On September the 1st, officers from Suffolk County Council and West Suffolk Council patrolled Bury St Edmunds to talk to badge holders and listen to their experiences. On the enforcement day, 172 badges were inspected, with the vast majority being used legitimately. Two, two expired badges were displayed, were confiscated. One expired badge was handed in and one badge was confiscated due to being used by a non-badge holder. Further enforcement days are planned in the coming months across Suffolk. 
Suffolk County Council is working with all borough and district councils to take a tougher stance on those that misuse badges. Anyone who uses stolen, lost or fake badges can face prosecution along with those who use a badge without the holder being part of the journey. It has been announced that Dr David Diamond, one of the acknowledged foremost experts on local history, has sadly died aged 88. David was president of the Suffolk Records Society and a vice president of the Suffolk Institute of Archaeology and History as well as the British Association for Local History. He was given an honorary doctorate by the University of East Anglia for his services to history and education in the region. He also co-authored A History of Suffolk and did important research on Long Melford Church and Lavenham. These are some of his many academic achievements. However, it was his appointment in 1971 as the first chairman of the newly formed Berry Society in a campaign to save St John Street, then threatened with wholesale destruction, that brought him notable attention. David's approach was non-confrontational towards the council, always reasoning that people wanted more of a say in what the council was proposing for the town. <coughs> On October the 23rd, 1981, at the Society's 10th celebration meeting in the Athenaeum, an enthralled, packed audience sat listening to his lecture on the importance of the town's history. He was a charming man who spent many hours in the local records office, living conveniently next door, always thirsting for more knowledge. In July 2020, Davis was presented at his home with a Festschrift, which is a collection of writings in honour of a scholar in his lifetime by 17 colleagues, edited by Dr Evelyn Lord and Dr Nick Amor, titled Shaping the Past, subtitled Theme and Place in History. The Berry Society and the town has lost one of its foremost citizens and will be poorer for his passing. He leaves Mary, a devoted wife of nearly 60 years, and three children. More than 1,900 motorists were caught speeding in Suffolk during a two-week-long enforcement campaign. Coordinated by the National Police Chiefs Council, the campaign saw an increase in speed-related checks and enforcement across the county. Officers spent the duration of the campaign highlighting and informing drivers of the risks of speeding and the consequences that driving above the limit can have through education and enforcement. The campaign ran from July 26 until 8th of August and saw a total of 1,924 motorists caught speeding. 1,832 of them by fixed mobile cameras, while the remainder were caught by police officers on patrol. Of those caught speeding, 1,844 were cars, 58 were vans, 18 were lorries, 3 were motorbikes and 1 was a bus. A dog masseuse has taken the highs and lows of self-employment and has created a series of short business courses to help others wanting to set up their own company. Angela Day, owner of Born to Run in Bury St Edmunds said, In working for myself I have made every mistake in the book and have paid silly money for things I could have got for free. I'll be helping others to realise profit sooner by working smarter and doing things in the most sensible order. The course will give advice on marketing, where to look for logos, and how to build a website, among other topics. While Angela is a self-confessed technophobe, through tenacity and determination, 
She has translated the technical world in a way that is easy to understand and hopes to teach others how to do the same. She was a high-flying executive of choosing to retrain at the Canine Massage Therapy Centre, where she was taught over 100 techniques for dogs suffering from a range of mobility issues, including, but not limited, to arthritis, lameness and hip dysplasia. She made the changes after seeing how canine massage revolutionised the quality of life for her dog and wanted to offer the same treatment to other pets. The results of canine massage were backed further by a recent study at the University of Winchester which found 93% of dog pain went from severe to moderate or mild as a direct result of canine massage. Angela's business courses are in the production phase currently but will soon be ready for the public to sign up to. Angela understands firsthand how the pandemic has impacted independent businesses. Having set up her company in 2018, Angela was in her stride when the pandemic hit and had to adapt how her business operated to fit in line with government guidelines with virtually no prior warning. Churchill Retirement Living is inviting people in Haverhill to enjoy coffee, cake and friendly company at its Weaver's Lodge development to raise money for Macmillan Cancer Support. The event, which is part of the charity's World's Biggest Coffee Morning campaign, takes place on Friday, September the 24th, from 10.30 to midday at the development on Camps Road. Visitors will be treated to coffee, delicious cakes and biscuits in the Comfy Owners' Lounge. Plus, Churchill Retirement Living will donate £5 to Macmillan's for every visitor who attends. Thurston Butchers has partnered with the Drinkstone Nano Brewery to make their homemade steak and ale pies taste even better. The School Road business has joined forces with Drinkstone Ales using their strong ale in their pies. At the 29th East Anglian Beer and Cider Festival at St Edmundsbury Cathedral in Bury St Edmunds, the Butchers' new recipe pies were bestsellers with visitors, while Drinkstone Session Bitter was on sale there. Colin Field of Drinkstone Ales said, The festival was great for us. We are only a small brewery, but we already have regular contracts with local pubs, and now we are proud to be a primary ingredient in Thurston Butcher's Pies. The idea for this happened after the mum of Alistair Angus, manager of Thurston Butcher's, suggested using it in the pies after trying some at the Five Bells in Rattleston. A service to licence a new rector and vicar was held at All Saints Church last Thursday. The Reverend Andrew Miller, the new rector, and the Reverend Alison Miller were welcomed by members of the Lark Valley and Bury churches at a special ceremony with people joining together to celebrate the occasion. The pair come from the Diocese of Durham, and have been settling into their new home in Suffolk. Andy said, It has been lovely to get to know a new part of the world for our family over the last several weeks, and we look forward to living alongside and serving with God with the people of the Lark Valley and Northbury team and surrounding areas for the years to come. Newmarket Town is gearing up for the return of its popular food and drink festival this weekend, with thousands expected at its new location, the historic Jockey Club Rooms. The free annual festival, which is one of the largest in the east of England with attendance of over 15,000 visitors expected during the two-day event, 
is set to showcase some of the finest produce from across the region, with the Cookery Theatre set to feature both celebrity and top regional chefs demonstrating their favourite dishes. Sponsors for the event include Love Newmarket, Corneum Barrow and G's Fresh, and money raised will go towards the local charities supported by the Henry Cecil Open Weekend. The celebrity chef lineup appearing in the Cookery Theatre this year includes chef and TV presenter Rosemary Schrager and Tristan Welsh, a regular on BBC One Saturday Kitchen and chef director at Parker's Tavern in Cambridge. Both are currently appearing in ITV's Cooking with the Stars. Anthony Gardiner from G's Fresh said, G's is delighted to continue our involvement in the Newmarket Food and Drink Festival, which makes a welcome return post-Covid and is a great opportunity to highlight the healthy fresh produce grown in the East Anglia Fens to our friends and neighbours. Our Bury St Edmunds Food and Drink Festival went down a storm over the bank holiday weekend with celebrity chefs, a farmer's market and PAW patrol characters proving to be just a few of the highlights. The two-day event featured cookery demonstrations, food and drink stalls, a family entertainment zone and the kitchen secrets of the Georgians at the Guildhall. Mark Cordell, chief executive of the BID, said it went really well. A number of stalls sold out over the two days. We are very grateful for the support of the public. The family area in the Ark was very busy on both days. Whilst the weather wasn't brilliant, everyone seemed to have a great time regardless. Sean Wilson, former Coronation Street star turned chef and cheesemaker, was at the Stove's Cookery Theatre Stage on Cornhill on Sunday, while Paul Rankin returned for a third visit to the festival on Monday. Chefs from some of the town's restaurants also made an appearance, including 1921, The Angel Hotel, Number 4 Restaurant and Bar, and Casa. Charter Square at the Ark Shopping Centre was transformed into a family entertainment zone with a circus skills workshop, giant games and fairground rides on both days. Famous faces Chase, Ruby, Sky and Marshall from PAW Patrol were spotted at the Ark posing for pictures with fans. The East Anglian Beer and Cider Festival at the Cathedral also took place, leading to a very busy bank holiday for the town. A firefighter who has saved lives, battled major blazes and even rescued a £10 million racehorse during his 46-year career has bid farewell to the job that was his childhood dream. Andrew Sheldrick retired on Tuesday as crew manager at Mildenhall Fire Station having joined Suffolk Fire and Rescue Service in 1975. He was a full-time firefighter in Bury St Edmunds until 2015 and helped combat some of the town's biggest blazes, including at Cupola House, Cycle King and the Bury Free Press offices in 1980. Andrew of Mildenhall said, It's been my life since I was 18 years old and I shall miss the camaraderie, the banter and fire service way of life. It's like a big family. I've thoroughly enjoyed my career and obviously I've seen some horrible things, but I've also had some great fun. His biggest claim to fame came in 1981 when he caught derby-winning racehorse Shergar after it threw its rider and bolted from the gallops in Newmarket. Andrew was travelling to work when the £10 million thoroughbred appeared in front of him, forcing him to do an emergency stop. 
he managed to catch Shergar after he stopped to feed on a bush and took him to a nearby stable. When Andrew arrived at work, he took a call from police who told him of the horse's significance and he received rewards from Shergar's owner, the Aga Khan, and trainer, Sir Michael Stout. In 1983, Shergar was stolen in Ireland and his body was never found. The 64-year-old grandfather, who has worked on call at Mildenhall since 2006, first as a firefighter and then was promoted to crew manager in 2009, was also part of the relief crew at the Elverdon Centre Parks fire in 2002. Having been born and brought up in Mildenhall, it was Andrew's boyhood dream to become a firefighter. It's nice to be part of a team that serves the community and make sure the community is safe, he said. Mildenhall is one of the busiest on-call stations in Suffolk and given its proximity to major roads and military bases, his team has been caught to some horrendous collisions as well as aircraft crashes. For Andrew, one of the most rewarding parts of the job is seeing those he has helped save from a fire or collision survive and recover. He praised employers for giving staff the time to work on call for the fire service. He said he wants to enjoy retirement with his wife Heather, travel and look back at the fond memories from his career over a glass of beer. A charity shop volunteer worker from Norton has started a petition after finding a lifeline bus service for the village has been reduced. David Flanagan and neighbour Diane Smith have started a petition to get the Stevensons of Essex Bus Company to bring back the 385 Bury St Edmund Services 7am village stop and the return 6.45pm journey, which stopped on Tuesday. Davis said he found out about the change last week when he got off the bus from his job at the mine charity shop on Cornhill in Bury. He said, There's been no reason why they are stopping it, and I only found out about it through the driver. This service is used by some NHS nurses to get to the hospital, workers to get into town, and students going to college, or doing work experience. This will hurt them all. Diane said they had around 200 signatures already and that villagers have been supportive of what they are doing. She said, It is so important in rural areas to have a regular bus service and this was one of the reasons I moved to Norton. It is such a lifeline for me and so many others we have spoken to and with a rising elderly population in the village, as well as children growing up to, to college age, it will be needed even more in the future. Though Stevenson's and Suffolk County Council both said they did not comment on particular routes, a council spokesman said, We are in discussion with Stevenson's specifically about contracts relating to school transport for local students. Those discussions are ongoing. The service reduction comes as the Women's Institute launched a national Get On Board campaign to ensure local communities have the bus services they need. The organisation said fi findings of a recent survey from 2,500 respondents showed that less than one in five living in rural areas have access to frequent, reliable bus service, and a quarter said they felt more isolated and socially excluded because of this. Anne Jones, chair of the National Federation of Women's Institutes, said bus services play a vital role in ensuring communities remain sustainable, helping to reduce social isolation and carbon emissions, 
and ensure access to employment, education, local facilities and health services. Our WI Get On Board campaign seeks to raise awareness of the importance of local bus services and the impact of cuts on communities and we need more to join us. The Bury St Edmunds branch of the Royal British Legion marked its centenary year with a ceremony at St Mary's Church. The branch opened in 1921, coinciding with the national launch of the organisation. The formal ceremony which took place at the church on Honey Hill was attended by 65 people and included personnel from RAF Lakenheath and RAF Mildenhall. Bernie Millard, a member for 15 years and the current chairman of the Berry branch said, It was very good. We did ours because the Royal British Legion and the Berry St Edmunds branch opened in 1921. We organised it ourselves and used St Mary's Church. It was a standard ceremony taken by the Reverend Simon Harvey and it followed a format. We had a hymn, a welcome from Simon and an address from myself. We also had a young girl from St Benedict's who played the bugle, bugle who was superb. Mr Millard, who was a former Royal Marine, said it was the branch's big event of the year before the Battle of Britain service in September and the Remembrance Day parade in November. He added, the church allowed us to use their kitchen to provide tea and coffee. The Royal British Legion was founded in 1921, three years after World War I. The charity provides support to individuals and their families who have served in the armed forces. Members of the Bury St Edmunds branch meets at the Risbygate Sports Club in Wesley Road on the second Thursday of every month. The club welcomes people of all ages. And now for some letters. The first one is by Gwen Williams and Annie Phillips. Microplastic fibres are small plastic fragments, 5mm or smaller, that are shed from synthetic clothes when laundered ending up in the sea and in the wider environment. The problem is massive and due to their size these microplastic fibres are readily digested by aquatic life causing death and also end up in the food we eat. The End Plastic Soup campaign is part of the Women's Institute's many environmental campaigns and the National Federation of WI Public Affairs Department is acting as the Secretariat to the all-party parliamentary group on microplastics. Over the last few months, the WI Public Affairs Department has been working with the office of Alberto Costa MP to put together a detailed report assessing the environmental effects of predominantly synthetic microfibers emitted from clothing during the laundry process and holistically during the life cycle of a garment. The report lists six recommendations for the government that, if implemented, would significantly reduce the volume of microfibers from laundry emitted into the environment, helping to clean up our rivers, riverbanks and seas. The report has been put together with help and advice from 35 different groups, including global domestic appliance corporations, the textile industry, academ academia, industry and retail, and the environmental sector. Following the publication of the report, the WI will be working with the Alberto Costa MP to secure meetings with high-level DEFRA ministers to urge ministers to implement our six policy recommendations. Nicola Yanelli Popham, Abbeygate Town Council in Bury St Edmunds, says, The letter from the West Suffolk Labour Group, 
from the Berry Free Press, August the 13th, appears to miss the point about all taxis being wheelchair accessible. The able-bodied can use both kinds of taxi. The disabled cannot. Many in wheelchairs can only move from a wheelchair to a car seat and out again with considerable assistance from someone who is aware of their problems and knows the correct method of doing this. Many in wheelchairs wish to be as independent as possible and do not usually travel with the equipment that will aid transfer from their chair to another seat. Transfers are often delicate and complicated operations that may not be advisable. As a consequence, if there are only a limited number of wheelchair accessible taxis, it will be the person in a wheelchair who has to wait around, for who knows how long, until an appropriate vehicle becomes available. Once again, the needs of the disabled will come second. Furthermore, although some people may find it difficult to climb into a wheelchair accessible taxi, this is a problem that can easily be resolved by having an extra step available, and there is no reason why the seats cannot be made more comfortable if this is the real problem. However, I suspect that many do not like using the wheelchair accessible taxis as they have a certain stigma and are less attractive than a saloon car. Therefore, as the mother of a tetraplegic wheelchair user, I cannot agree with this objection and wholeheartedly support the requirement that all taxis should be wheelchair accessible. And this letter is from Clifford Davy, all about cashless society. Sir, in recent times, paying for goods with cards has become commonplace. In fact, my youngest son has been an exponent of a cashless society for some time and often pays for items with his phone. So used to this, his nine-year-old daughter, Ellie, on seeing my small leather purse, asked, What is that for, Papa? I explained it was for my coins. She exclaimed, That is old-fashioned. Different generation indeed. Martin Dayton from Woodbridge says, Sir, it seems likely that working people will have to pay a significant increase in their national insurance tax to pay for care for the elderly. The elderly are currently able to receive care and social services from local authorities, some paying nothing for this care, others paying very little. Many of those elderly people are able to eventually leave estates valued up to £1 million free of tax to relatives who in many cases have done nothing to support them. In 2020, people with estates valued at two to three million pounds paid less than 20% inheritance tax on values over one million pounds. People with estates valued at 10 million pounds paid less than 10% inheritance tax. People with estates worth over 100 million pounds paid 0% inheritance tax. The Duke of Westminster handed 8.3 billion pounds to his heir and paid no inheritance tax. His is one of the hundreds of super-rich who pay no inheritance tax. The rich avoid this tax by establishing trusts or by placing their wealth in shadow family corporations. Others hide their wealth in funds or trusts in one of the UK's 16 offshore tax havens. It is the duty of us all to care for the elderly and fund social services. The cost of this duty should be borne by every member of society to the extent they can afford. The richest people within our society have designed or been given mechanisms whereby they can totally avoid this duty and members of our government and our parliament are included in and complicit in the avoidance of this duty. Dee Crystal of Newmarket also writes about social care. Sir, it's reported that Prime Minister Boris Johnson is going to raise taxes to help with what is a terrible situation in social care 
which is, gen which is greatly needed. Some say that a rise in national insurance contributions would be unfair on younger workers. Would they really mind? After all, they would be old one day and might be glad the social care system was addressed. But the argument could be made as to why should taxes paid by older generations be used to fund treatment for those who are drug addicts, alcoholics and heavy smokers. Once they have been treated and still refuse to alter their ways, yet the state has a duty to pay for them to live a life of luxury. GM Snipe from Orford says, All electric vehicles, a great idea. Good if you have access to your own personal driveway. But in my own situation, where I have to park outside my house, the last 10 weeks it's been full of Chelsea tractors. But I've worked out if I purchased a 300 metre long extension cable, I would be okay. Uh, from Peter Booth Smith, let's think more positively. Sir, an age ago when I left school, my grandfather passed me several lessons in life. In hindsight, one of his most useful pieces of advice was, don't waste time worrying about the past, just concentrate on the future. Obviously, one cannot do anything about the past, but one can influence the future. May I implore people to stop agonising about Brexit and try to think more positively. If you watch channels other than the BBC, you will observe that the entire world is struggling with the effects of Covid on the global economy and no one is making much of a fist of it. I feel sympathy for governments faced with such conflicting problems and I doubt that armchair critics would be finding it easier. I suspect that life ex-Covid is going to look very different, politically and economically. Let's try to be optimistic. And now for a feature on the Women's Institute. August might not have brought the blistering heatwave predicted, but Suffolk West Federation of Women's Institutes certainly didn't let that dampen their spirits. Armed with WI resilience and umbrellas, we have met come rain or shine. 80 members raised a glass to our first indoor event, a Ritz afternoon tea set in the beautiful surroundings of the Bury St Edmunds Guildhall. Once there were only crumbs left on plates. There was the opportunity to take a behind-the-scenes tour of the Grade 1 listed venue and its historic World War II operations room. Women's institutes have also been brimming with their own activities. Bury St Edmunds afternoon, St Edmunds morning and Horringer Court gathered for garden parties and picnics. Drinkstones savoured a pub lunch and a wander around Columbine Hall Gardens and Sturmer stretched their legs on a guided tour of Eastern Town Park to learn about biodiversity, while Morton Hall members ventured across the border to Norfolk to visit Helen's herbaceous nursery. Guest speakers were in abundance too. Bures talked fashion with designer Amanda Sutherland. Suffolk Accident Rescue Service enlightened Barton Mills about their life-saving work, while Michael Wabe gave his enchanting one-man reenactment of medieval life to Newmarket. Chevington WI had the pleasure of presenting their speaker, Storehouse Food Bank, with a £300 cheque, a charity they've supported for many years. There were also celebrations when a plaque was unveiled in Bures to honour their WI's 100th birthday. If you stop by Stanton's church rooms between 10am to 12 noon on a Thursday, then you'll find Stanton WI popping on their pinnies to run a weekly cafe. You don't have to be a WI member to enjoy their delicious delicacies, 
so why not make it your Thursday pit stop? During September, our ladies will be getting to grips with flower arranging with our in-house demonstrator, Jill King. We are also launching a new monthly craft session where members can bring along their own crafts and tend to them over a natter and a cuppa. And now it's your chance to get involved. We are throwing open the doors to two of our events this autumn. Why not dust off your dancing shoes on Saturday, October the 2nd and join us for a Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons Tribute Act, a night of Jersey Boys at Risby Village Hall. Or sit back in the comfort of the apex and let the melodies of the London Welsh Rugby Club choir wash over you on Saturday, November the 27th when the boys from the valleys bring their mix of popular songs and traditional melodies to town. You can find out more information and book your tickets via the Apex. The phone number is 01284 758000. Headline, Beach Huts in a Felixstowe are more in demand than ever before. Life's a beach hut. As the current mini heatwave sees families flocking to the seaside, Felixstowe chalets are more in demand than ever. Two beach huts in the resort each sold for a record-breaking £88,000 this summer, more than the price of some flats, and people are telling of their love for the resort's colourful mini homes. One recent survey suggested demand for beach huts had surged by 260% in six months, as more Brits planned staycations rather than travelling abroad. Charlie Patworth of Diamond Mills Estate Agents in Felixstowe said, Demand is really high, partly because of the pandemic, with people not being able to go abroad. It's like a sort of compromise, but a nice compromise. The agency sold a hut close to the Floodies Art Hotel for a then record-breaking £65,000 in May, within hours of it going on sale. Then we sold two more near the Floodies Arms, for £88,000 each. I think that's more than the price of some flats in Ipswich, he said. However, Mr Patworth added that not all beach huts fetch this kind of price, and prices in Felixstowe are still far more reasonable than in some other areas, including the south coast. Diamond Mills currently has a hut at Brackenbury Cliffs for £50,000, and another near the Spa Pavilion for £49,000 but it is also offering a number of others from £18,000 upwards. He added that reasons for buying huts vary. Some people want to get one for the family to enjoy. Some simply want to make a bit of a time and investment, and some want to rent them out. Friends Joy Reeve shares what is probably Felixo's best-known beach hut with her friend Karen Kenny, and it is also used by their friends and families. The hut, which was named by Joy's grandson, won the title British Beach Hut of the Year in 2017. As well as making the most of the hut in the summer, the friends use the hut as their base for fundraising in winter, selling coffee and cakes to people visiting the beach. In November, the two friends will be opening up the hut in aid of guide dogs. After last year, they raised more than £5,600 for Parkinson's UK. Joy said, my beach hut is my most important possession. It's very precious. It was bought for me by my dad so that, I, so that I could have the same enjoyment of my grandchildren at the beach as my mum and dad had with my children when they were little. 
More people have been using beat chats this year because they're going on holiday in the UK and not going abroad. I love my hut. It's just that feeling of peace, of getting away from the stress and strains of everyday life. Joy added beach huts help families to enjoy the beach, whatever the weather. My two granddaughters were staying with me for a few days around the bank holiday weekend and we went down there for breakfast. The weather was pretty grim, really, but they so enjoyed it and went in the water. They love it and it's nothing to do with phones or Facebook. Karen said, Our beach hut is the best use in Britain because we use it all the year round. This year it has been nice because we've been seeing more people using the huts and opening them up than in any past couple of years. While the soaring prices may be testament to the hut's popularity, Karen said she was concerned they were now being priced out of the reach of many families. Beach huts are such a wonderful thing for the families. They just get down there and have all the facilities. It's beautiful for families. We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal from whose pages most of our items have been taken. Telephone numbers mentioned in this edition are the Apex in Bury St Edmunds, 01284 758000. If you are interested in the Christmas lunch organised by Gatehouse, ring Amanda on 01284 754967. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Jill, Nick and Jackie, it's goodbye. Bye-bye. Podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St. Edmunds studio.